So when you hear the word law, do you have positive thoughts, negative thoughts? I wonder. When you hear law, do you think, I like that? Or do you think that's bad? Or do you think both? I just heard someone say. And a lot of times when I ask questions, I'm looking for the both. Um, not because I'm a postmodernist and it's both at the same time. But when I hear law, I, I think something negative. I have negative thoughts because I don't like legalism. And it's associated with law. Uh, I don't like it when, as a Christian, when people try to take the unique laws of Israel that were designed just for them for a time, and they try to make them universally applicable to everyone for all time, because that's a form of legalism. So when I hear law, in that sense, I think, I, I don't like law. When, when I'm doing the wrong thing and violating the law, I don't like law. For some who are not very knowledgeable, they don't know the Bible very well, or they've not, not been taught very well, uh, they, they, they might not like law because they might think that the law has nothing to do with Christians. But the other side of it is, the law is positive. Uh, when, when something's being done to me that's against the law, I want some law and order. I want some protection. I like the law. I want the law to be enforced. Um... I like the law also because I like Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to, th- to fulfill the law. So I-, I like the law also. And I think positive things because in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says the law is... Anybody? It says it's good. So the Bible, the New Testament says the law is good. And so I have positive thoughts about the law. If I want to know the revealed will of God which is also called God's law, I think I like the law. Well, guess what we're going to talk about today? (laughs) We're going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about the law in the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, you can find the book of Exodus. It's easy to find. It's the second book of the Bible. We've been studying the book of Exodus. I thought it was going to be maybe a four-week series. I don't know. We're maybe 12 weeks into it. Um, But the reason for it, is because there's so much in the New Testament that expects us to be able to know Exodus. So we can't really be good New Testament Christians, if you will, if we don't know the book of Exodus. And so we're working on that, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments today. I realize the Ten Commandments are negative because there are so many thou shalt nots, right? Prohibitions. Don't do this. Don't do that. But let me remind you, That there's always the positive side. Don't do lying, for example. Don't don't tell things that are not true about your neighbor. We're going to talk about that today. Why? Because you're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to care for them. And so we're protecting that good relationship. Children, obey your parents. Well, it's because that's what's good and right. Um, So, so many of these are seen as negative, but they're actually designed to be positive because God is telling us the way he designed the world, the way he designed the world to work, how we relate to him, how we relate to other people. It's all meant for our benefit. Let me remind you of a few things about the Ten Commandments that I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks, but just by way of reminder. The Ten Commandments are not the first time we've ever heard commandments from God. So if you recall, even in Exodus 16, there are commandments and laws. So I like to say there was law before there was law. To put it in other terms, and we talked about this last week, so I'm just reviewing and I encourage you to go back and check that out if you would. But just by ever so quick review, 
God's law has always existed ever since he's made human beings because Romans chapter 2 says the law is written where? It's written on the heart. And so there's always been law. Uh, in uh, Romans chapter 2, it's even talking about people who don't have Bibles. They're not of Jewish ancestry. Uh, they're, they're Gentiles, pagans, if you will. They actually deep down inside know what's right because God's law is written on their hearts. So there was law before there was law. There was commandment before the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are, are this uniquely packaged same law, but uniquely packaged to Israel for them in a specific place at a specific time. And so there are going to be specific applications for them that will be unpacked in Exodus and Leviticus and following, unique for them. But it doesn't mean we can't learn from them, even though we're not the nation of Israel, even though we're not in the wilderness. We can learn from them because in principle, they're all true. And in principle, they were all true before the Ten Ten Commandments were even given. So later on in Exodus, we're going to see certain applications They wouldn't be the way we would apply it. But we understand the ten. These are just truisms. These these are, we would call natural laws, if you will. These are common sense kinds of things. These are things that some people have done, not perfectly, but in principle, for a long time, and when they followed God's laws, the ways he's made the world, things have gone better for them. Because when you do things according to the designer, things tend to work better. And so, hopefully, those kinds of things are just good reminders to you. They might be helpful to you. I certainly hope so. Um, we oh, Maybe one more thing before I forget. I mentioned last week, I see them as, as bullet points, and I'm in really good company, right? There's a whole lot there. Um, these are just simple statements, but there's a whole lot undergirding underneath them, and we're going to be able to unpack that a little bit. Okay, Exodus chapter 20. Let's go ahead and review the first seven ever so quickly, then we'll look at the final three today. Exodus 20 verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So that's why we should listen. So we should listen because he's God. And he's already made himself known to be different from all of the other gods. He's not like the gods of the Egyptians. He's not like the gods of the Canaanites. He's not like the gods of all the other kinds of ites. He's unique. He's different. So we learned earlier in Exodus when they wanted to know what his name is, because you've got the fire God who has a certain name. You've got the water God who has a certain name, the fertility God who has a certain name, so on and so forth. What's this God's name? And what did he say? He said, I am on purpose for shock value. I I don't have a name like all of the other gods because because I'm the one true and living God. I'm just the God who is. And so it's meant to have good shock value. I'm totally different. I'm distinct. And so you you in a sense you can't put you can't put a label on me like all the other ones. So remember that. That's why you should listen to the to the Ten Commandments. But also, I also am the one who redeemed you. I'm also the one who was good to you. So listen to God because he's the one true and living God. But also listen to God because he's been good to you. The the, the people of Israel were enslaved 400 years in bondage, in bondage, oppressed. And he, not because they were good, but because of former promises made even to Abraham, their forefather, delivered them. So... Let's even think of this whole thing in our terms. We're not the nation of Israel. We're not in the wilderness. We're not at Mount Sinai. But you know what? There is only one true and living God. 
And He's been good to us. He's been good to everyone in a general sense, common grace. But He's been especially good to us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because He hasn't just delivered us out of temporary oppression. He's delivered us out of ultimate oppression. He's delivered us from the ultimate enemy. The ultimate enemy, the Bible says, is death. We have resurrection hope because we have perfect redemption in His Son. I just want to be front and center paying attention. Tell me what's true about you. Tell me what's true about me. Tell me what's true about the relationships I have with other people because you and you alone should be listened to. And you've been so good to us. So with that in mind, let's look at the commandments. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's kind of a no-brainer. That's kind of a duh because there aren't any other gods. And there certainly aren't any other gods who've done for them what he did. And the idea isn't you can have a whole bunch of gods, but just put me at the, uh, give me the biggest statue. No, no other gods before me. You could even unpack the translation. I wouldn't die on this hill, but some Hebrew scholars would say before my eyes, I shouldn't see any other gods in your life because that just doesn't make any sense because there are no other actual gods. They're just creations. Not only that, they certainly didn't deliver you out of oppression. So make sure there are no other ones before me, not as in you can have other ones who rank lesser, but before my eyes. Second commandment, complementing the first, it says in verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No worship helps, right? Don't say, well, God's kind of like this, so we're just going to build a golden calf to help us with our worship. And that is how they're going to couch it, by the way. No. None. Don't have any carved images to kind of help you to have a better idea what God looks like because God is a spirit. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says no one's seen God. No one has ever seen God. Guess why? Because John chapter 4, he's a spirit. Now, I don't have a very good memory, but I can remember just a little while ago, we read Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95, it said that God has, anybody remember? Hints? God has hands. And I want you to know God doesn't have hands. John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. John chapter 4, God is a spirit. Mormons think God has hands, God the Father. And that's why one of the big reasons why they've never been counted as actual Christians in the historic sense. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have hands. He's a spirit. Why does Psalm 95 say he has hands? Metaphor. To get the idea. Because when we make things, we make things with our hands. And God makes things by speaking. But to help us understand the idea, the psalmist does say, the work of his hands. So, don't make anything with your hands that that is designed to help you picture God because God is a spirit. Now, we also know as Christians, all of this was in, in, in anticipation of the ultimate revelation of God for us to see the incarnation when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into this world and we worship him and him alone. And he accepted worship. 
Okay, we'd better keep moving lest the review lasts longer than the new stuff. Verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So he tells us why. And then I won't reread it. We looked at it last time. So for the sake of time, he talks about how this won't be good for you and it won't be good for those who come after you. So there are lasting effects for idolatry. And as we will see with the golden calf, uh, if we cross-reference to Deuteronomy, it wasn't that they were saying it is God. It was helping them understand God. And we know it ends up being idolatrous. Can we keep going? How about this? Let's put it in the positive. It would be insane to have other gods because there aren't other gods. Don't act like there are other gods because that would be crazy. And if God is a spirit and we can't have any pictures of him, then don't have any pictures of him. Don't have any carved images of him because it will always be twisted. It will always send the wrong message. And who would want to have a twisted perspective on reality? Right? We have special medicines for people like that. Right? And it's not a sign of being healthy. Don't be that kind of person spiritually. You're okay with it in other realms, and I'm okay with it in other realms, but sometimes I'm offended when I'm told there's only one God. Why would I want to be offended by that if it's true? No. Well, how about if God is trying to help you so that you're not having a twisted, perverse understanding of reality? That's good. Oh, I like these Ten Commandments. These are helpful. These are truisms. This this is absolutely positive. Okay, third commandment, you shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. So not frivolously, not insincerely, not thoughtlessly, but you're purposeful. You're you're thinking even theologically. uh, You're thinking in in a clear way about who he actually is. Don't just say God without thinking about who he actually is. Fourth commandment, number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it distinct, to keep it holy, to keep it special. Sabbath means rest. We won't take the time to read all of the verses or go through all of the review, but God rested. And so we imitate God as image bearers. It's not punishment. It's actually good for you to rest. It's good for other people to rest. It's good for a culture to rest. So we looked at those things in detail. Ultimately, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter four, fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Give that relationship that you have with your father and mother, if you're a child, a bigger priority than other relationships. And that's counterintuitive but it, to, to a young person, but it actually makes the most sense. They've invested. They've made mistakes. They've succeeded. Learn from them. They probably know more than your peers do. There are exceptions to this rule, but generally speaking, pay attention to your parents because they've loved you. I heard someone say tragically not too long ago, you know, basically, what have you ever done to love me? To a parent who has been a good parent. Can you imagine how long that list would be? Who's gone to work, who's sacrificed, who's paid the bills, changed the diapers, provided, protected, and on and on the list goes. See, this just makes sense. You don't even need a Bible to figure this out. I'm glad it's in the Bible. But even people who reject the Bible and are just paying attention to how life works, natural law, the way God made the universe, can see that this is true. Now, we, 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 we know that it's true all the more because it's inscripturated. It's also in the New Testament. 
But this kind of stuff just makes sense. This is good. This is right. You'll be more successful if you do this. And that's what he says. Look at verse 12. That your days might belong in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Your life is going to go better if you learn from other people. The, in the Bible, it's fascinating that young youth is prioritized in the Bible some places because younger people have more strength, generally speaking, and they have more energy, generally speaking, uh, and they're willing to take risks, generally speaking. So the Bible is not against young people. It actually prizes youth, but it doesn't only prize youth. <laughs> it also prizes the aged, those with gray hair, those who have lived life, and we actually end up needing each other. But here the emphasis is children value your relationship with your parents more than you value other relationships. And guess what's going to happen if you do that? Your life is going to be better. It's going to make more sense. You're going to have less failures. Not that you're not going to fail. Let's keep going. Next one. It says in uh, the sixth one, sixth commandment, verse 13, you shall not murder. So we have sanctity of human life. All life is important. We're image bearers. And so that just makes sense. We love nature. We love animals. We love what God made in the world. But there's only one created thing, if you will, that bears God's image. And so we value life so much that we forbid murder. You can't take life. You can't murder other people. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago just by way of review because some of you weren't here. He's not talking about all taking of life because it's actually sanctioned for, in cases, government to do so. Genesis chapter 9, in principle, I think it's 9-6 off the top of my head. It's not saying there can't ever be any wars. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about me taking matters into my own hands and taking somebody else's life. That's what it's clearly getting at according to the bigger context. Don't murder. Don't take people's lives. Number seven, seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Marriage is good. Sex in marriage between a husband and wife is good. God's not being a prude. But there's something special about a marriage between a man and a woman. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 19. It's the way it's been since the very beginning. And so where you have a marriage, don't violate that unique special relationship by having a relationship with someone who's not your spouse. Now, remember, in principle, he's going to unpack this, or Exodus is going to unpack this, and the rest of the Bible unpacks this. It's just going for the norm. But it's going to deal with other kinds of sexual deviations. But here, encapsulated, bullet point, don't commit adultery. But we're going to see, don't commit other sexual sins. Sex is good, and sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. Today, we have to say a biological man and a woman. But you know what? That's just common sense. God's natural law says to that, duh, because there are no other kinds. So here we have this good prohibition. Don't commit adultery. Well, we could put it in positive terms. Cherish the unique, special relationship in a marriage. And you know what's going to happen? Generally speaking, because that's what these are doing, things are going to be better. Things are going to be better. Oh, but we live in a fallen world, so it's not going to be perfect. But things are going to be better. It's good to have 
marriage between a man and a woman. Eighth commandment. Are we on new stuff? This is exciting. This is amazing. I thought we could do all 10 in one week. I've been a pastor here for 25 years, and you'd think I'd know by now. Um, I'm glad I'm not... I'm glad the qualification for a pastor is he has to know how long every sermon's going to (laughs) take. But you can pray for wisdom. All right, eighth commandment, here we go. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. How many of you have ever had your car broken into? It's It's a terrible feeling. I hate it. I was at a business the other day and you could tell somebody tried to break their front door down. And they had like bulletproof kind of glass. And, and I went in and I said, had a, had a break in, huh? Well, almost. And, and the camera show, they were here for four and a half minutes and blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, feels terrible, doesn't it? And the lady said, we built this business ourselves. We feel violated. It's awful. Well, we've all had something taken from us. I just wanted to get you thinking about that. It's, it's awful whether, whether somebody's broken into your house or broken into your business or broken into your car, or even if you're a young boy or girl, somebody's taken something that's actually yours and, and without permission it makes us mad. That's mine. What are you doing? And, and the more valuable and the closer to home, the worse you feel to the point where it can be extremely awful. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. You shall not steal. What a good commandment that is, right? (laughs) Keep your hands off my stuff. Literally, it's don't carry something away. Don't carry something away that's not rightfully yours and without permission. This is a great commandment. It's a wonderful commandment. Keep your hands off my stuff. (laughs) Unless you ask. This, this will help us get along, right? This is a way of loving your neighbor. This, this only makes sense that this would be the case. On a hot day like today, it reminds me of when they, when they stole all the copper out of our HVAC. I think it was like $100,000 to have it, have it fixed. It's like, what in the world? Are you crazy? And I think they've since stolen, stolen the copper out of all the lights. So we had to like weld them shut. Don't do that. It's not good. It's wrong. And we can look at this on a bigger scale. It's not good for individuals to steal things. It's not good for businesses to steal things. It's not good to have actual theft. It's not good to have intellectual theft. It's not good for governing authorities to steal things. Get your hands off my stuff. It's not good. It's not right. Don't carry away things that are not yours. Now, to the positive, it is saying something. We've seen sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage, sanctity of family. How about sanctity of possessions? Now, materialism is a sin, but owning material things is not a sin. Or this commandment would not be in the Bible. And you might be thinking to yourself, why do you even have to mention this? I, I need to mention that it's okay for you to work hard and to buy stuff. Just don't worship the stuff and to consider the stuff yours. Okay. You say, that's duh. That's a no brainer. Well, it must not be a total no brainer because some people think socialism is a good idea or communism. You know what? 
personal property ownership the Bible is good with, or there wouldn't be this commandment. It's my stuff. How many times can I say stuff in one sermon? It's a technical theological word. (laughs) When we value other people's possessions, it's good for us. It's good for them. It's good for society at large. It's good for cultures. But when it doesn't happen in a culture and or a society, or when a government doesn't protect this, bad things happen. And you say, you sound like you're getting political. Well, guess what? Here's the thing. We, as Christians, are called to preach the law and the gospel. And people don't know they need the gospel if they don't hear the law. So I'll say to individuals, I'll say to business owners, I'll say to employees, I'll say to governments and governing authorities, don't take people's stuff. (laughs) Because when you take people's stuff, it doesn't lead to human flourishing. It doesn't lead to sanity. It doesn't lead to good things happening. That's law. It's true for us as individuals all the way up to the biggest entities on planet earth. It's important. We want good things to happen in the world. We want to have good lives. We want to love our neighbors and have them have good lives. Guess what? You need to follow the Ten Commandments. It'll help. It won't save you. It'll help you to know you're a sinner and you don't do it perfectly, but it will lead to human flourishing, whereas it wouldn't otherwise. Okay? So, let me tell you who to vote for. I'm totally kidding. Okay? That I won't do. That I won't do. Keep your brain turned on. God made the world and us in certain ways. And when we follow the principles of his law, better things happen. Just how, how, how it goes. Well, we should probably keep moving. Ninth commandment. Verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It sounds super official and it would be applicable on an official level, right? So if you're, if you're called, uh, before Moses and the elders in this context, and, and, and there are laws and there are consequences for violating God's law in the formal setting, tell the truth about your neighbor. Don't, don't bear false witness. It could mean their life. So, so to be, be a true, truth-telling witness. But it is, it's also applicable on a less formal level. Don't say things that aren't true about other people. Don't tell lies about your neighbor. That's the idea. Straightforward. And life will be better. If you tell the truth about me and I tell the truth about you, it's going to go better. I mean, to, to put it in the positive, this is just loving your neighbor. Who likes it when other people say things about you to other people that aren't true? I hate it. Doesn't make me feel loved. <laughs> Makes me feel hated. Let me remind you what Jesus says about Satan in the Bible. Satan, the devil, I think it's in John chapter 8 off the top of my head, is the father of what? He's the father of lies. He's the father of bearing false witness. 
He's the father of lies. So when I say things about you that are not true, I'm acting like the devil, not like Jesus, who always told the truth, who is the truth. We have all people as Christians. We're supposed to tell the truth. The Bible's the truth. Jesus is the truth. We're, we're all about the truth. And, and sometimes in Christian circles, it's almost like the fruit of the Spirit is lying about other people. It's not. And just so we're clear, this is a New Testament reality as well. For example, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. This, this, is, this is just common sense. See, here's where I get myself into trouble. Because people always say they want more application in the sermons. I've found it not to be true. <laughs> Tell me about the hypostatic union, Pastor. Tell me about the intra-Trinitarian covenant of redemption. Pastor, tell me about whether... Well, I could go on. I'll stop. Don't be practical, Pastor, because then I feel guilty. Well, I'm being a little bit lighthearted and facetious about it, but people do say, I want more application. But then you give them application and they're like, I didn't like that very much. Please don't tell, please don't say things about other people that aren't true. It's a sin. It's a violation of the ninth commandment. So here's some application. The next time you're having a conversation with someone and they're saying something about someone else that's not true, say, that's a violation of the ninth commandment. Stop. Please. I looked up a definition, just the first definition that came up, so it might not be the best one, of gossip. And it says, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. So maybe there could be gossip that's not lying. But a lot of times gossip is a form of lying. I think Omaha Bible Church would be healthier I would have a better life. You would have a better life. The world would be a better place. If when someone is saying something about someone else that's not true, you said to them, that's a violation of the ninth commandment. Please stop. It'd be good. It would be good. It's not harmless to lie about other people. It hurts them. It doesn't love them. It's demonic. It's not, oh, it's kind of like Pinocchio. Let's just make a cartoon about it. No, it's bad. It's hurtful. It's the opposite of loving. I'm thankful for the Ten Commandments. I'm thankful for natural law that this just makes sense. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. I have more application, but I'm going to go to number ten. I, 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 will, I will confess my sin to you, or my temptation that I get to study this ahead of time um, and maybe work on applying it. And I'm at least thankful. I'm not, I'm not trying to show you how great I am because I'm the biggest sinner I know. Um, but studying this did help me at least once this week to bite my tongue and not say things I shouldn't have said because I wasn't sure if they were true or not. Praise God for a little bit of sanctification in the pastor's life. Because <laughs> he needs it. But I, 
I'm pretty sure you need it too. Of all people, let's be people who tell the truth. Okay, number 10, 10th commandment. You shall not covet. It's the word that's from Genesis 3, 6, where Eve covets. Selfish desire. Uh, You shall not covet. Not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not, or excuse me, it goes on to say, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, don't have the selfish kind of desire for things that are not yours. So it's complementing the text we saw earlier about stealing. Don't have this twisted desire to make what belongs to someone else yours. Now, I think we should nuance this because you might have something really cool that I like. And it might motivate me to work hard so that I can have that very cool thing that you have. That's obviously not what it's getting at. It's getting at something perverse or twisted. And it's getting at something that that would cause me maybe to do things or say things that are wrong. Right? At, at At the worst, maybe to do things that are hurtful to my neighbor to get something that they have. And not quite as bad. Maybe I don't act on it. It certainly would create a bitterness in my heart and this, this desire to have something that creates animosity and negativity toward the person who has the things that I want. Either way, it's bad. Either way, it's bad. We could look at the positive. When other people have, can I say stuff one more time? Cool stuff. <laughs> We, you, you're supposed to love your neighbor. He said, isn't it great that my neighbor has the cool stuff? This is great. We, now, now, actually, to borrow from the New Testament, uh, from the book of Romans, we can rejoice with those who rejoice. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? And I'm not claiming that I'm good at this. I think I've gotten better at it. When other people have something that I would like to have, praise God by the power of the Spirit, what do we want to desire in our hearts? We want to say, Praise God. Isn't that amazing? I'm so happy for them. Maybe they'll give me a ride. <laughs> Maybe they'll share with me and I can enjoy it a little bit, right? But, but to actually be happy for other people because God has blessed them through material means. And isn't it great that he's able to do that? Maybe I'm going to pray that they're going to be good sharers. But to not be bitter and not somehow have this perverse longing and desire to make it by stealing or hurting or by being bitter or negative, jealous. It's all built in this. Do you think society would be better at large if this is how things went? If everybody was happy for everybody else being materially blessed if they are. The world would work better we would say the world would be a better place if we followed what only makes sense. It's the idea. It's the idea. I don't want to be blasphemous, but but to make the point that this is natural law inscripturated then to be uniquely applied to the nation of Israel, people who are a part of a totally different religion could take the Ten Commandments out of the Bible, change them a little bit to make them not sound so Christian or Bible-ish, and try to apply it to their group, to apply it to their community, apply it to their city, and they would flourish 
more than they would otherwise. Because these are just common sense things. This is the way God has made us. This is the way God has made the world. That's why there's law before there's inscripturated Ten Commandment law. These are just common sense things. But they're more than common sense. They're common sense because of the way God has made the world to work. Let's move on and close things out in the chapter. It says in verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us. We will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Out of context, what a thing to say. Do not let God talk to us. Not a good thing to say. But there's something about it that I I admire. I I know enough to know that I like their style, kind of. Can I say that? Because they're, they're dealing with God. And they already, before they were even given, they said, we'll do all of it. And maybe that's sinking in a little bit in their own hearts. And they're like, don't, don't let God talk to us even. I think there's something about that we actually should admire and go. You speak more truthfully than you even realize. Even if you shouldn't be saying that, it kind of resonates with me. I kind of get it. Well, verse 20 says, Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And here's the but. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel. This is important. Don't miss this. You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You've witnessed this. I'm not like any of the Egyptian gods. I'm not like any of the other, the Canaanite gods, any, any other ones. This is, this has really happened. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps to the altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. I wonder what that's about. It's probably about this. God's not afraid to people, afraid to see people naked. He made them naked when they weren't ashamed. But they're not even to resemble in the slightest other false religions that are oftentimes associated with fertility and sex and sexuality as part of their worship, that might be what's going on there. You're different than the others. Respect me. Fear me. Honor me. Another thing, as far as the worship is concerned, as far as the altars are concerned, at least for the time being, this is how it's going to be. They're on the run. They're in the wilderness. Follow my rules. But we know enough to know that when we get to the tabernacle and we get to the temple, there is going to be artwork, if you will. But at this point in time, there isn't. 
How about this? Let's, let's end by saying this. The law is, starts with a G. The law is good, right? The law is good. It only makes sense. The law is good. If you don't remember anything else, remember the law is good. That's quoting the New Testament. The law is good. But the law is not good what? It's not good news. The law is good, but the law is not good news. So if you want to give your children a test today, children, if you want to give your parents a test today, what was the sermon about? The law is good. The law is not good news. No one will get into heaven by obeying the Ten Commandments. Except the one and only one who fulfills the law on behalf of his people. So the law is good. It's not good news. The good news is that Jesus obeyed perfectly, fulfilled the law, died a sinner's death as if he violated the law on behalf of his people, making perfect atonement. And he was raised from the dead, declaring that he was in fact perfectly righteous, obedient to the law. And he is raised from the dead on behalf of his people also. And he has ascended as our great advocate high priest. Remember, the New Testament says, don't sin, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, and your children. Don't sin, First John. But if you do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, which means law keeper. He's our substitute. The law is good. The law is not good news. But I'll come back to the first statement over here. But the law is good. It's good for us to follow as those of us who've trusted in the perfect law keeper. This is why the psalmist says, it's a light into my path. Speaking from the perspective of a believer. So law is good. Law is not good news. Law is good again. Is my takeaway from all of this. The law is good. The law is not good news. But the law is good. So we preach law to unbelievers... Obey God perfectly. Love God and love neighbor. According to Jesus, that's the summary of the law. We preach the law to unbelievers so that they can say, what do I do? I can't do it perfectly. You need to trust in Jesus, the good one. That's good news. Okay, now what do I do? Now that I'm a Christian, follow the law. And life will be better for you if you follow the law. Not to get into heaven, but because your place in heaven is sure. This is not complicated. This is not complicated, and this is not legalism. Oh, and by the way, I like to preach the law to Christians in the first sense also and say, remember, God requires that you obey His commandments perfectly. And you say, but I don't. You made me feel so guilty when you talked about telling the truth. You know what? I want you to feel guilty so you remember how much you do need Jesus as your Savior and how you'll then say, now I want to do what's right. Law's good. Law is not good news. Law is good. And when we keep it in that order, we won't do legalism. We'll be thinking and acting like Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. Thank you for churches around the globe that have your word and have the truth of the gospel and love to proclaim the gospel as well as the law of God, which is good, righteous, and holy. May we be a congregation of church members who don't think highly of ourselves, but that we do think highly of your commandments.
so that we will think highly of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. May it be so, may it be so for the good of this church, may it be so for the good of other churches, may it be so for the good of the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.